0: Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. Voting was a vital community activity for the author Winsome Bingham. It was something her whole neighborhood did together when she was growing up in Fort Lauderdale. They would go door to door to rouse their neighbors and get them all to go to the polling station together. It shaped her childhood, and now she's hoping that experience can help show other children the importance of voting. Winsome's latest book is called The Walk, It's a beautifully illustrated children's book that tells the story of a grandmother taking her granddaughter to knock on doors in their neighborhood to get out the vote. Winsome taps into her childhood for her award-winning work. Her last book, Soul Food Sunday, was named one of the best children's books of 2021 by the New York Times. It tells the story of a young boy who helps his granny cook for the family. Both those books reflect her background. She was raised in Jamaica and immigrated to Fort Lauderdale, where she was raised in a black and Caribbean neighborhood. Her time in the military led to a career as a teacher and a writer. Now she uses her writing to teach kids important lessons about family, community, and civic action. She'll be presenting her book tomorrow at the African Heritage Cultural Arts Center in Liberty City. Today, she's here with us. Welcome, Winsome.
1: You make me seem like I'm wilder than life, and I'm loving it. You, you
0: are larger <laughs> than life. You're an amazing, it's amazing what you've been able to do with it. And, Thank you know, you um thank you so much for coming in
1: oh thank you for having me it's this is a blessing and i'm grateful and humbled and honored definitely
0: well we're not only grateful to have you here but we have your mom in the control room back there
1: yeah you want to
0: give a shout out mom
1: you know she knows i drag her with me where i go <laughs> I <try to>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's your mom's name
1: that's barb
0: barb why well, i imagine uh, you can tell just from the writing of this book and from your background that she had not just a huge influence, and the fact that she's here today, she has such a, a huge influence on you, but also on your writing, and your and they chose her writing.
1: Well, she did. She, uh, Yeah, she did. You know, my family, like I said, we're immigrants, but we're also Americans. Mm-hmm. We walk on both sides of culture, an American culture and Caribbean culture, and people ask all the time, who's the better cook? I'm an excellent cook.
0: She's so much better than I am. So much better?
1: So, yeah, I got you. You know, you have to give. Props, okay. you know, when it's due. And, yeah, she's much better. <laughs> um, but the soul food I got, right, I got that one a You along. got that one down. So <laughs> yes. she's.
0: A, you could say, all right, if she, she can have the, the Jamaican side, but if you can handle the soul food, then you can, you can be comfortable with that.
1: Oh, definitely, <laughs> because she's an amazing cook. I'm not going to take that away from her. But I feel like everyone in our family, we cooks. You know, you got to eat. So you learn. If you want to eat, you learn to cook. Mm-hmm. And so cooking, for me, it's very therapeutic but it's also it's just this bond and we think of cultures what bring people together more than food
0: oh yeah and and both of those things like so much fam- family and being and like you're talking about bringing people together both those things are at the heart of, of the the two the two books that we mentioned
1: i def yeah i was a teacher for years i grew up in fort lauderdale i jo- i went to graduate fort lauderdale high school mm-hmm. joined the military here in miami i left out of here Came back home, went to the University of South Florida. And when I graduated University of Florida, I started teaching Broward County Schools. So my first teaching was at Walker Elementary. And then I moved to William Dandy Middle, where I actually taught ROTC before I became an ESC specialist. Because oh, I was wow. in the military.
0: So because your background in the military, made Yes. Yeah.
1: And they needed an ROTC person. So I taught ROTC there. And then um after that, I went to I taught at Piper High School.
0: Oh yeah, of course. So, having teaching kids at that age, how did that how did that tie into the, the the writing that you're doing? In other words, your writing could have taken a lot of different courses, but you you decided to focus on children's book of this age, picture books. So. Why did you feel like that was an important way, an important age to address kids, mm-hmm. and a good way to address
1: them? Well, here's the crazy part: all my life, looking back and reflecting, I realized I should have been a writer long time ago. I shouldn't been a writer at fifty years old because I'll be fifty two. So I should have been a writer at fifty. I should have been a writer a long time ago. But that's another thing: when you're in immigrant families, to them. It's be doc, a doctor, lawyer, teacher. Like no, what they don't consider the art a job because they don't know what that can be. Right? There's such that, a thing. That can a, be
0: a whole career. Yeah. Yeah.
1: People they don't think of that. They think of a starving artist. And right. so I feel like no yeah, there's one, no and,
0: starving lawyer. Uh, that's, right. not, that's not a shame. And no
1: starving surgeons. Right. <laughs>
0: that's right. The starving surgeon.
1: But but on the <laughs> art side, there is now for me. When I taught in Virginia, mm-hmm. when we taught in Virginia, the state of Virginia went to what they call alternative assessment. And it was for the students with learning disabilities to still master the skills and concepts mm-hmm. that the state Department of Education put in place, but they might not have the cognitive ability. But mm-hmm. I have to show that ha- they have some form of mastery, so they will give you a set of strands like main idea, inferences. Well, what I started to do was use those skills to create these sheets for my kids to teach them. So we use stories.
0: Oh, so you were you were you were organically already doing some of these things that you're that's the heart of your work with your books
1: yes I started using it, and then when my kids started responding to it I was like oh okay I got something here and then other teachers like you know such and such did this and we need to figure out a way how to like modify behavior so then we started putting more of the kids into it and just use those stories t- as a reward on Fridays you know they get to to be a, a book all about them their story They get, and it was very beneficial but still for me it wasn't until the Department of Veteran Affairs, the VA in mm. St. Pete. I have I suffer from PTSD, mm. and I went to the VA for help for services. And part of my therapy, my therapist wanted me to get back to what I enjoy doing. And so every week you have goals. And so my goals were bowling because I still love to bowl. Hmm. To just be able to get out when you know when you're not feeling well sure. and do something that you love. So it's bowling and writing. And so I went back to started writing again. And my therapist was like, you know, you should do more of this, You're actually good. But then it's, it's when I realized that when I was writing, I was in such a good place, a, such a good state of mind.
0: Wow, so you had to kind of give yourself permission to start doing that. When you say you should have been writing all along, give me an example, like when you were a kid, was it, when did you, looking back now, what? Why were you seeing the world through the writer's eye?
1: Right, because when I was in eighth grade, I wrote at Sunrise Middle School. I wrote this story that Miss Centrone, that was the reading teacher, thought was oh, just the best thing. Oh, shout out to Miss
0: Centrone! Okay,
1: <laughs> the best thing in the world. And then when I was in ninth grade, what um, was that
0: story? You got to give me that story.
1: It was a story about a boy uh, and a rolling calf. It was like um, this boy went out and he got this rolling calf that's this mythical creature on the island and no one can catch him. He tricked the rolling calf and then he they killed the calf so they can have the best beef in the whole world. Oh,
0: that's so funny. And is that that's a mythical creature from which island? From, I don't from,
1: know. My grandmother used to grandmother us used to tell you those stories. These stories about rolling calf in Jamaica and, you know, they're they're like these wild cow but they're invisible. So I don't know. I, yeah,
0: so I, you you have to have somebody early on that recognizes the ability to story tell, right? My
1: great grandmother, she's buried here in um, in Fort Lauderdale. She passed away in 2014. Mm-hmm. But she, when we were all on the island, she would sit us down and tell us stories. If it was a blackout, everybody would sit under that mango tree and she would tell us, you'd be so scared to move. And looking back as an adult, I'm like, maybe that was her way of keeping us safe. So we're not roaming around in the dark. But she was this amazing storyteller. Even a few months ago, I was with my cousin in the Bronx. And I'm like, I need you to remember some of those stories she used to tell. Maybe I could do an anthology, mix them around a bit. But she told... Amazing stories, and I was always captivated by stories.
0: Well, that image that you just painted, uh, I, I guess having a blackout, I guess every goes everybody goes outside where it's not it's not as hot. tell me tell me about those times. Those clearly were formative for you.
1: Well, definitely, you know when you grow now we have the internet and all this stuff. but mm-hmm. back when I was growing up in Jamaica, we had two radio stations and one TV station. The TV signed on from six pm. to ten pm, right? The radio station was JBC Jamaica Broadcasting and an RGR. I don't remember what that that stood for, but. It was very limited of what you can see and what you can do. We we stayed outside a lot. We climb, we race. I feel like whenever I'm watching, you know, um, world track meet, everyone's like, I "Have a Jamaican crew." I'm like, "Yeah," because we had nothing else to do but to, <laughs> to watch to, the
0: track meet, to yeah. run
1: and play and, and just you know, we we're running all over the island. And what, so,
0: what years were these, more or less?
1: In the eighties, in, in the, the 80s. I came so here, here in early eighties. So this was in. I grew up in the seventies and eighties. We didn't have. We stayed. We literally stayed outside.
0: So you guys would literally gather around under the mango tree?
1: Yeah, when it has blackout. and Back then, everything was unstable. Electricity yeah. was unstable. It's an island, so you have hurricane season from, what, April to November. Mm-hmm. And when those are bad weather, they knock the, the, the electric lines down. You don't have power. And my grandmother used to say, only two type of people roam at night, and Ghost was one of them, right? So, <laughs> so for, for us, you know, when we have blackouts, she would gather us on the veranda or under the mango tree. She would tell us stories. Mm. And that was her thing. And that was my thing. It, It led me to like reading books and just escaping. I am a big reader. You yeah, know. you're
0: you're wearing a hoodie right now that says books save my life. That's
1: right, because it did. It um, really
0: did in your case especially. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Because books for you was it's it has become this career, but it was a part of your therapy. It was a part of you really just uh, uh, overcoming this PTSD. You said you you got I guess yep. while you in the military?
1: Yep, in the army. It is my therapy. Reading, I read, I write. Um this is for me this is for me and I have to thank the VA because I I suffered from trauma but didn't know what to do and where to go and when I finally end up at the VA this was the result of this therapist saying to me let's find what you used to love to do mm. and from their birth all these stories they just started coming back to me that when I decided it was a chance encounter on Twitter I hate that it's change the dynamics Um, it was 2016 when um, Hillary Clinton was you know Running. For running. Mm-hmm. And she had a children's book by and the illustrator was Marla Frazee. And everyone's like, Oh, Hillary, this book is amazing. And I was like, Oh my God, Marla Frazee. because as I teach her, I would use her books. And my therapist used her books because I hate roller coaster. And the first time I was introduced to her was with roller coaster. This book she she illustrated. And I ended up loving the book. I still don't do roller coasters, but I <laughs> love the book. So I recognized So
0: you were you were already familiar with her book even for yourself, stuff that you were using yourself in, right. in therapy, and, and so you're familiar with the, with the illustrations.
1: Yeah, because I also use books in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I would use, I am a big reader, and so it always hurt me when kids can't read. I'm like, how can you not read? Like, this is, might be your only, your passport to the world, you yeah. know, just be. So I am been, have been a big advocate for taking books and just weaving them in the curriculum for kids to show them, you know, what you mean. One of the things I used to love doing, I would sit at my desk with a book and And I'm just laughing like it's the funniest thing. And they'd be like, Miss, what you reading? I'm like, oh, I can't read. You're going to have to get your own type thing. And then they'll go check the book out, you know, just because they wonder what's so fun? I need to be reading that, you know? Yeah,
0: you little curiosity underneath, underneath. Absolutely. Our guest today is Winsome Bingham. She's an author, veteran, and an educator. She'll be presenting her new book, The Walk, at the African Heritage Cultural Arts Center tomorrow in Liberty City we were talking about, you know, the, the storytelling kind of being at the heart of your growing up. And I want to talk a little bit more about your growing up because you were very much bicultural mm-hmm. um, being raised in Jamaica and then growing up here. Uh, and you said you're, you're, so tell me about that. Tell me about kind of being, ra- like how being raised in Jamaica with your grandmother and that kind of lifestyle kind of formed to who you are, you know?
1: Well, Raising being raised in Jamaica and come to America, I'm just gonna have to say it. I tell people, and I mean this whomever is the branding and marketing person for America, they're doing their thing.
0: Wow, because they 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 had it, uh, they they convinced folks
1: what. And when you and I've talked to other authors from other countries, and when you live on an island or you live outside of the U.S., U.S. is painted as this place where you can walk down the street and the sidewalks paved will gold. Mm. You don't have to worry; you'll be okay. And you come here, and the struggle is real. Wow. Like. It is so, and, you know, and, and it's interesting. It's interesting because no one tells you that there is a struggle. You're just thinking that you're going to go there and you're going to be rich and everyone who lives in America is rich. Like and, you won the
0: lottery, basically.
1: Yeah, and, and it's not the case. You know, it's not the case. But what? I think one of the good things, you know, with Americans, as well as people from the islands or other countries, when you want to do great things, you're going to take opportunities and do great things. Hmm. Nothing is given to you and you gotta work hard and sometimes it's hard for people to believe that. Even like when you visit Jamaica, they're like, Well, you have to be rich, man, you live in America and you wanna say to them, um, that's a marketing strategy.
0: Yeah, that is so funny. The the So what was it like for you guys when you came? So what was the what, what led to the decision of you and your Family leaving it. You were 12, 13. Well,
1: I came here at 12, but mm-hmm. my family was already here. They came the same reason um, immigrants come to America for mm-hmm. a better life, to have something more than what they have, to have access to jobs and those things. And, you know, I came here, went to middle school. I was middle school age. I went to school, graduated, went to the Army, another opportunity, another marketing strategy. If you join the Army, you travel the world, you go to college, and life will be great.
0: You, you bought everything <laughs> they were selling. <laughs>
1: because they gave it to me. I didn't know any better, right? You're a kid, you're taught one thing, and then you get to the Army, you realize that's not even the case, right?
0: And you, and you were coming from a place where you were really part of the community and part of the culture. You were talking about your great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, how important was she in in your life as far as your love of books and and it sounds like creating culture for you guys
1: well i one of the, so one of the things for us is growing up with a great grandmother uh she live in a house with cousins family they emigrate to the US and England and Canada and they work hard and they send money home so you can go to school and you can learn Everybody makes sacrifices, but you don't realize that as kids. Mm. And I think that's one of the things I reflect on the walk that I didn't realize that when you're growing up and everyone is going to go vote was such a big deal. Mm. You didn't know the adult. You put on your shoes and come. So you just put on your shoes. You stop at the door. Go. Go. Let me never know. So we're outside. And you go. Now we're in the street. And All right, baby, I'm coming. Like you don't know you have. No sense of that.
0: And was that the case for you in Jamaica? Was that that kind of um, back or did that start when you get got here? I felt
1: of like that started. I don't remember growing up about voting in Jamaica, no. like because in Jamaica, I remember barely that you had two parties and it was really separated where you live. You're one thing just understanding that as a kid, mm. but it's coming here as little kids, where people just do that. That's what they're supposed to do. Mm. And so when people, when you're with the grown ups and they say, well, okay, put on your shoes and come, you just put on your shoes. You don't ask where you're going, how long you're going to be there. You're kid. You do what you're told. Right. So now I see kids like, well, what are we doing? Wait. And we're like, even the old people like, wait, what? You, you're talking back because we're not used to that. We're used to growing up and people just said, Let's go. You do that, and you just do it. You don't question what you're doing. You just do it. And that was for for us. School was out. They couldn't leave you alone at home. And so when they're going to to go vote, everybody going. And so the kids are walking, and we're racing, or do that, and go. Somebody go go tell such and such. And to them, to me, it was just you know friends, because you live on this. On the, the block where everybody know everybody right. and everybody do things. I did not realize until I was older, like, what was really happening. Which I didn't is, realize that.
0: Which is that they were creating this community or?
1: Well, not even some of their career. Like, they were going that day, those times we do that, they're going to the school in the park to vote. Mm. Didn't realize. because I would, oh, So there was this one <laughs> lady. I don't know if she's still alive, but. It was weird to me because she always would come with her walker. And she was slower than everybody. And I'm thinking if your feet hurt, like, because I'm a kid, so I'm thinking as a kid, (laughs) right? right? right. If your feet hurt, why you not stay home? Why you have us in the sun walking forever, taking so long? Because we're kids. We don't know any better. And now looking back, like, oh, my gosh, it must have been so important that, her feet hurt, and she's still pushing the walker up the street to go and vote.
0: And there, there is an older lady with the walker that's in your right. book. And so it's like it's those you're telling a story to yourself as a kid.
1: Well, now because I'm reflecting, yeah. mm-hmm. but you, and that's what I'm saying with, and I, I, I tell people all the time, right. Once someone, Andrew Wang, who won um, the New Bear, it's like like winning a Grammy. Mm -hmm. And she did a blog post and she says, you know, I'm just wondering, there's no tension in this book, you know, and good stories have to have tension. And I said, I disagree. Good stories, they're cultures that don't use tensions when they tell their story. They just tell a great engrossing story. And I said, but the tension in this book is there, right? Because the little girl keeps asking them, are we there yet? Kids <laughs> have no concept of time. Right. And you know this because if you have kids, you're driving, are we there yet? You're like, no, we'll be there in 15 minutes. Then two minutes later, are we there yet? <laughs> no (laughs) right they have no concept of time this little girl have no concept of time and then she's and I said but there's also tension from the grandmother right because if you look at what's happening even then and it's happening now to see that they make it's harder for communities to have access to voting there's this stress and this tension of Who's gonna get my voice, right? Because Mm -hmm. when we vote, we allow people to speak for us. Mm -hmm. And two, will it count? And we remember that election where they found ballots in alligator's mouth in Florida. Like you think about all those things. So it might not seem to you that there's tension, but just knowing. It's like someone comes and they tell the doctor tells you, No, you're gonna have to have surgery, such you're you're stricken with anxiety because Mm -hmm. you don't know. What's gonna happen from that? What would the result be? Or he says, you know, do this test and I'll come back. And the whole time you take the test, you're worried, Mm. right? There's this intrinsic tension. It might not show outward, but you can feel it.
0: And is, is writing a way that you help kind of dispel some of that or kind of put that into, into a context?
1: You're absolutely right. It is the way for me to put it in a context, to see for what it is. Mm-hmm. Because if I wasn't writing, I don't think I would even go back to those childish moments that I had, those lived experiences, and you know evaluate what was happening at that time.
0: Right. And, and writing this book, your your previous book, Soul Food Sunday, I uh, was named, you know, it was a notable book by the New York Times, yes. um, and it that one was different. One of them is very family-oriented, and the other one is civic, but I can't help but feel like those two things are linked, right?
1: But they are linked, right. right? Because even though it's civic, mm-hmm. it's a it's family, right? Yeah, it's a grandma and it's, her granddaughter. That's yeah. right. It's family. And so we think about it. these moments. They're just lived experience. Soul Food mm-hmm. Sunday is a lived experience, right? There's a family in the kitchen. They're cooking. We all know what that is for families. Whether you're Black, Italian, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. You come together over food. You're talking trash. You're cooking. You're mm-hmm. laughing. <laughs> you're having a good time. So there's this love with Soul Food food sunday yeah you can feel that the tone has shifted because the tone shifted because in some way i shared this with my therapist and i guess i'll share it with you all i felt like i missed something Mm. because in this moment looking back i see where i was being a brat i felt (laughs) right because you know you see someone with a walker you're kids, and you're like why if your feet hurt stay home like (laughs) why do you think you need to go not realize it was bigger than that.
0: Right, and that that's so much about writing is that it's you clearly are looking back on your life as a kid and saying, okay, how can I make this make sense to other kids, right? And kids that you teach.
1: Exactly, and, but also kids have these experiences. Mm-hmm. And it really shows us that we're not really that different. I have a book coming next year from Simon & Schuster called Life is Beautiful. And every time I read that book, I go back and I cry. If I can still revisit these moments and cry, then I know I did something. I have another book coming next year called Missing Mama, and it's about a little girl dealing with a mother with PTSD. Mm. And my son said, who is an Air Force veteran, he said to me, you know, I'm glad this is a girl in this book so now I can distance myself. Because this was his moment living with me, a mother with PTSD, and not know it. Oh right? wow. because if I I didn't acknowledge that I had trauma. I didn't know I had trauma. I knew something was wrong. I knew there were times I didn't feel well, a lot of times. But I've also was taught to be strong, shake it off and keep going.
0: Right. And the whole idea of the military. You you went into the military right right after school? Seventeen years old. What made you want to do that?
1: Well, my grandmother's like, You either go into college or you go into to, to or you need to do something. And, uh, start working right away or something. Well, yeah, you, you know, which was crazy because mm-hmm. I had um, offers from Murray State and Appalachian to run track. I ran track at Fort Lauderdale. Um, went to state every year. Mm-hmm. and But I needed something else. I started not like running. I felt like because I was Jamaican, it was expected. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you do. Our track team was like most of them were Jamaicans. And it was just what we did. But... It stopped being fun. Mm-hmm. It stopped being fun, and so when the recruiter came and you know you can go to the world, you have money for a car, we we'll take. I was like, they Why sold not? you the dream. They yeah. sold me, and I bought it. I'm like, yeah. yes.
0: But you mentioned that there was a an experience during the military that was that led to you uh, undergoing yep. this PTSD. Is there any of that that did you can share a little bit about how that shaped you on the other side of that?
1: Well, you'll need to issue a trigger warning for your mm. your your listeners, um, I was, I was sexually assaulted during Desert Storm.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. And and I could imagine Mm -hmm. that that was, that completely just upended everything you expected
1: from that, that whole experience. It did. It ruined me Yeah. because even though I was, I got hit in the back of the head with a rifle and sexually assaulted, I have a severe, I have a brain, um, I have a traumatic brain injury, TBI, suffer from PTSD and anxiety. Like, I've. uh, Writing saved me, books saved me. It's been rough, it's been tough. I didn't even tell people for so long because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to to go about it and I tried to deal with it but if, if you're out there and you suffer from trauma get help because it's going to eat you up
0: well you found that that you tried to keep it to yourself and I, and, and that that just ate a hole in you it's it,
1: like, yeah it ruined me it literally ruined me mentally emotionally I ended up in the VA more than one of, under different you know just yeah, yeah. you know
0: and so so really, like, that, that's, that self-examination, where we are now, it starts because of a, an examination and accepting of things that, that you lived through, that you survived.
1: Yeah, it's this lady. She was in the VA and here at um, Bay Pines. Her name is Dr. Roma Falson. I hope you can send her this because she, I felt like she helped save me. She kept saying to me, she said, you need to understand God is not finished with you yet. You still have to live your purpose. When are you going to accept that? Wow. And I felt like that was the turning point for me because when you're when you suffer from trauma and you suffer from depression, it's hard to get out of it.
0: Yeah, it's hard to see. It's hard to see yourself in that position. And we're so sorry you had to yeah. go through something like that. You know, um, especially now that you 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 know your your work is so much about touching into these emotions mm-hmm. that that force you to work through some of the, those things. I would imagine.
1: Yeah it does it does it i want to cry and i i didn't know we were going there today i guess this is my therapy for the week so i let my therapist know she can take friday off (laughs) (laughs) but it it did if it wasn't for this doctor dr Roma Paulson, maybe i should find her and send her some love and um encouraging me to listen, you have a purpose. You know, that was, you didn't do this. This didn't happen because of you. This happened because of people that were mean people. You know, this
0: was not your fault.
1: This was not, but it's hard when you are a victim of trauma, Mm -hmm. you think it's your fault because... Why would it happen to you? You must have been doing something. And it could be that we're conditioned to think that when things happen to us, it's because of our actions, right? When the reality wasn't our action, it was a very violent crime. And then as you pay attention to the military, you realize it's so many. And it's crazy to me because the whole time you're thinking it's just you and it's thousands and thousands and thousands. And it's crazy.
0: Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of rebuilding your life after that. You know, yeah. you, you have an experience of like that, and it clearly this is something that you continue to, to work with uh, over the years because, mm-hmm. of course, um, how did you then decide that you wanted to turn your life towards teaching?
1: Well, I got out of the military, held on to my trauma and went to University of South Florida. And I've always taught, but I was a walking depressive. Like everyone would say, oh, she's such a great teacher and she's this. And... Teachers like you are the best teacher I've ever worked with, wow. but I was going home just staying in my bathtub and not coming out till it's time to go to work, being depressed, not getting out of bed. Like, I have, I'm telling, I take meds, I'm on meds, I advocate, it keeps my sanity, but I work hard at just tr- trying to stay positive. I work hard at just. Being present Mm -hmm. in the world, and I am honored that these things are happening to me. That I can write a book, and my first book, The New York Times, thought it was so great that it's the best book of the year. Fantastic. And then write a book, The Walk, that comes out tomorrow, but yet we're already in our third printing. Like these things, yeah, these are blessings, but I cultivate and I work hard, you know, and I I try my best and I still go to therapy and I call in to make sure when I'm, Anxiety, or I'm feeling in a dark place. I call my therapist and I say, I need help. I can feel it. Something is not right. And she's saying, Well, you should try to live in this moment, but I can't live in this moment because you don't get better because your books do well. Mm-hmm. Right? When you have something wrong with your brain, something is wrong with your brain. It's not that it's going to get better. Yeah, I have stretch where I feel like. Yeah, I'm okay. But then when I don't feel like I'm well, it takes a long time to to get back into the swing and into the groove of things. Right.
0: You mentioned that that books. Well, you're like you said, you're wearing your their hoodie that says "Books Save Your Life." Yeah. You said your therapist helped you. She brought picture books into you as a way to help relate. And obviously that connects to what you're doing now. Tell me yeah, about that.
1: Definitely. Well, because also with a traumatic brain injury, it f- even though people are like, oh, Winston's so smart. She has all these degrees. But there were a time when my speech muzzled. Mm. And so I feel like I was losing my brain power. But early on, it was tough. I skipped. It missed the people that was around me every day. They didn't notice that I started talking less and that my brain wasn't, you know, gathering my my paragraphs Mm. or making sense. And so she started coming back, bringing picture books, stories, because they're complete stories. They're thought process. They're able to put stuff together to rearrange and... She was really good about that, and I just started getting a love for him. Because when I was growing up on the island, I don't remember ever reading a picture book. I read Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys because my great great grand aunt would get up every morning and read them.
0: Same, we had our, our library at school was stocked with a lot of Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, so I, I came up with those as well.
1: Yeah, so those were the the books for me. But when I started teaching kindergarten, I would use picture books for to teach my students how to read, how to tell stories, how to recognize the book, the text, you know, how to put, you know, beginning, middle, end, like. Though and I just started love them and I I collect them because I love them and you can learn so much from them. They're not just written for kids. I tell people picture books for everybody.
0: Yeah, any parent who's who's read a book to a kid has has, has had moments of realization and awakenings. Yeah. while going through them. Yeah. So clearly they had a they had a really emotional and and therapeutic. Yes. Uh, work in your life and now yes. it seems like you're you're turning to, to helping see how you can help others with with that same kind of therapy.
1: Definitely, and teachers. I taught at an IB school in Virginia, and we would mix, like... Compare and contrast say a curriculum. Say there's a family in Japan and they're having a meal, but there were never any meal about like a black family having a meal. Mm. So I would create that story. It's the same thing. Every time I'm writing, I think about what teachers need, how to add these books to the curriculum. Every single state have a, a civic element, a strand on civic democracy voting. So every single state school should be buying The Walk, to I, weave into to help teachers.
0: I mean, from your lips to God's ears. Our guest today is the author Winsome Bingham. Her new children's book, The Walk, is inspired by her own memories of growing up in Fort Lauderdale. She'll be reading at the African Heritage Cultural Arts Center tomorrow at 430. Winsome, it's, it's pretty clear that picture books and this combination of both the written word and the visual storytelling was so important not just for your own education, mm. but in your case, for your own therapy. Yes. And um, you've worked with an illustrator. Uh, this is a different illustrator this time on the yes. walk, right? Can so, you tell me about them?
1: I would love to because if I don't mention him, he's probably listening and he's going to send me a text like, "Stop, <laughs> E.B. I'm sorry." So this, the walk is illustrated by the amazing E.B. Lewis. He has um, two Caldecott honors. Caldecotts are like think of the Grammys or Oscars, but for children's book for the okay. art. And he's an amazing artist. Have over like seventy books published. And um, when it was time to do the this book, a couple of um, I spoke to Emma, who is my editor at Abrams, and we thought of E.B., we thought of other illustrators, but E.B. was like, this is my book, like, this is my story, and he really loved it. And I'm glad he did because if you see the art, it's stunning, and it captures the moment. You can feel the tension. You can feel the anxiety, but you can feel the love of the people, you know, through their words and the subtlety of the text. And this book is gorgeous, but it is so powerful to me. I wish I could read you the whole book. It's only like five minutes, but it's just such a, a uplifting story, you know.
0: Well, if we can't read the whole thing, but at least we can read some of it. Would you, you Would you read it? a little bit of it? for Oh, us? sure. Thank you, Winston.
1: Um, there's some great parts, but I'll go ahead and start from the beginning. That's a great. And place it's called the Walk. It's written by me, Winston Bingham, and illustrated by the amazing E. B. Lewis. My granny is taking me on the walk. Because leaders are not born, she says. They're made through molding and modeling. What's the walk? I ask. You'll see. And there's a few treasure souls coming too. She packed my backpack, water, sandwiches. I fetch her cane and we walk on. We stop around the corner. Are we here? I ask. Not yet. A woman pushes a walker down the driveway. Ready, Granny asks. Every time I take this walk, the woman says, I feel like it's 1972 all over again. I shut her gates and we walk on. Red, white, blue swirls in a cylinder. Granny smushes her face against the big window. She raises her right thumb. So, we here, I ask. A wave of men stroll outside. They're prepared and waiting. Ready? Granny asks. Yes, ma'am. The man flips the clothes sign. You know, I thought after 2008, I could skip a few of these walks. But I see we need them more than ever. You're right about that, Granny says. Now let's go collect the rest of these treasured souls. And we walk on. We stop at Mrs. Wong's tap, tap, tap. We here now, finally. Hello, everyone, Mrs. Wong says. This is my granddaughter. Say hello, Man Ying. waves and smile. I wave and smile back. Mrs. Wong holds Granny's hand. Man holds my hand. And we walk on. More stops, blocks and boulevards circles, courts, cul-de-sacs, and the Catholic Church on a corner.
0: Amazing. Amazing.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: that was Winsome Bingham reading from her new book, The Walk. It's a children's book that she's written. Um, really talks about there's so much family there, and there's there's the community engagement is like the reason for it, but the, the interaction is all family.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How much of that is drawn from what you remember as a kid?
1: Um, I remember my grandmother, and I remember a few people along the way. Tell me
0: your neighborhood. So, like, give me some structures. Lauderdale Manors. So,
1: if you're from Broward County, I lived in Lauderdale Manors, which feeds into the high school. It feeds into the, back then, the elementary school is Lauderdale Manors Elementary. That Mm -hmm. feeds into William Dandy Middle, and it feeds into Dillard High. But I went to for Lauderdale High. It's 13 Court. So it's that park is Sunland. So I think Sunland is bigger. Sunrise, mm-hmm. Sunland. So that's that neighborhood. Now that neighborhood is very diverse. Looking back, I remember there was a man on that street that had a white car, and he had the the hood was black with a red no sign, like no no smoking, right? It's like no blacks.
0: Oh, and oh, that was in your neighborhood.
1: Yep, he was the only one there, and he was really mean. And when we would pass, he would let his dog chase us i remember that man i remember that car but either way there was another couple white families on the other side they eventually moved out but we had jamaicans miss rose they're black americans um guyanese
0: so you i mean it's not just like this oh this idyllic you know neighborhood like you guys really probably something that you didn't have to deal or or, or, or probably a colorism maybe in Jamaica but not a, a racism that you had to deal with like that at all.
1: No, cuz in Jama- you know what's crazy in Jamaica we didn't we didn't see black and white. I learned about black and white when I came to the United States. Mm-hmm. In Jamaica we don't see Black and white. I remember, I remember me and my son, I was stationed in Virginia. And me and my son was in the grocery store. And we kept hearing somebody speak Patois. That's our broken our English we speak on the island in Jamaica. So he's like, Mom, and you know, we in Virginia. It's a military town. So when you hear people like, you're like, okay, where y'all at? You know, let me find my people. <laughs> right. And so we kept running and looking at the aisle. And it was a white couple on the aisle. So I was like, oh. So we came back. And then see, like every time we came back, they would talk so that we move, and it was this white people, and I was like, "Y'all Jamaicans," <laughs> my son said. He's like, "Y'all Jamaicans," and the lady said, "You Jamaica," and they were. I was like, "But we know you exist, but we never saw it out of not on the island. It's wow. accepted. So for us, see now in America, and now you're you're can." You know, you understand the difference, but on the island, like we have a huge, huge, huge Chinese population on the island. We have Indians, we have Jews, we have Germantown, and those were the Jewish people that came there in the 19, early part of the 1900s, mm-hmm. ex, you know, that's escape and persecution. Mm-hmm. But all this stuff you don't know till you go back, getting older and learning history. Right. You know, and now they're banning books here and they're banning history, and you're like, it's this, this ridiculous to me. Especially
0: know? when you got here and you and you learned you learned so much first person about about uh r- race relations just being a kid walking through your neighborhood because
1: they lot they want you to know that people want you to understand mm-hmm. where you fit into society what role you play mm-hmm. when you you know people are quick to say, well if you don't like our country go back it's not a, if I didn't like this country I wasn't willing to die for it think about it. join the military, went to war I love America that's why I'm here but what I'm also saying is simply this we can be more. Show more empathy and be more compassionate to just people. To leave the world better than you found it, than to make this big spectacle and try to dehumanize people. Just love on people, you never know who you're gonna need when you might need them. Like, these things are important.
0: Yeah. You Today, you're in Virginia, right? Connecticut. In Connecticut. So tell me about some of these lessons that you grew up as a kid when you look out at some of the kids that are in your classroom. How much? Is it, how much do you think about that and the the things that they're up against, you know, in their lives when 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 the school bell rings? Yeah?
1: Well, I first of all, I remember when I came and at sunrise there was this dude. I want to call his name because I know he's still around. He used to sing "Go Back to Jamaica." I remember that. I think wow. about that as kids, right? Because it's easier for us to to see other people that's below us. I look at my students, the students I taught. I want to cry because my students, they they gave me life. Like mm. they were truly a vibe. I remember I've, about a m- couple months ago, I um, researched. A teacher I taught with, her name is Pakeetha Ruffin, and I taught with her at Lindsay, and we were like this. We were so good as a team. She was general ed teacher. I worked as a ed teacher that the district would come and watch our classroom and ask us to train other teachers just wow. so how to interact with the kids. And I used to tell her she was more flexible, but I always see kids as people like in the sense that I didn't raise the, my students like how I was raised, like kids are not seen, not heard. I'm like, no, you need to advocate for yourself. You need to have a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, if if something happened, you can speak up, just start off, just say, listen, no disrespect intended, and say your piece. And if they have something to say, you come and get me, I'll go fight your battle. Like, we had that. And my teachers, no, I'm gonna fight with my students because they're people, mm. they're people. You talk to them as people. You treat them as people. They're people. They have a voice. They have agency and autonomy. If we don't allow children to learn who they are, then how can we expect them to advocate for themselves if they don't know how to do it? Right. We have to teach them that. So now, I always took that approach with my students.
0: That that must have been that a big switch, right, when you grew up as, as being one of the seen, not heard, right?
1: Yeah, it is a big switch. It is a big switch, but I also learn, you know, we grow up culturally. There's things in cultures, and we don't tell people how to raise their children. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're doing, right? We don't tell them, you know, you're not doing that right. We allow parents to be parents. But also, we should want our children, when they leave us, to be independent and self-sufficient. We would want our children to be kind to others so others can be kind to them these are skills and concepts that can be taught. And we should taught it. We should be in the driving seat, making sure that our kids have what they need, not only physically have the Jordans or, you know, the great, but also physically that they're healthy, right? Their, their mind is okay. And if something is not right, they can say, I don't think that's right. Maybe we should think about doing that. I had a principal, Dr. Tamara Cooper, her whole method was she never want us to bring her problems. She told us that. Don't come to me with a problem. Say this need to be fixed. I need to come to Dr. Cooper and say, Dr. Cooper, you know, such and such need to be fixed. And I think if we try this, it might work. Hmm. That's what she wants you to do, bring solutions. So I am always tell, let them bring solutions. How would you fix that? If, if kids like, well, you know, I'm saying, well, what would you do? Right? Because now I want them to think. Can this be fixed? and if it could, what would it look like??
0: Right. So much of, of how you approach it and uh, clearly your writing reflects that, is you're having a conversation with students where kind of everything is on the table. When you look at some of the things some of the issues that we're having particularly in Florida, where there's certain even topics you can't talk about. you can't talk about gender and LGBTQ and that becomes like a whole thing and and certainly the the curriculum for for black history has been upended. When you think about those things, can help put us in the context of what that does to you as a teacher, you know, when you're trying to have these honest conversations.
1: Well, it as a teacher, it really puts me in this negative space. And I sympathize with teachers now. I sympathize with librarian because at the end of the day, I love to read. I have more than 3,000 alone picture books. And I read novels as well. But I don't read everything, you know why? Because I have the option to read stuff and realize this is not for me Mm. and move on. We read to find our taste. You're banning books, you're banning resources, you're banning education. What you're saying is, I wanna push one narrative. This is what they need to know. No, children are smarter than you give them credit for. They can figure out what they need to know. We're all in survival mode. I know that if I jump in the pool and I can't swim, I need a lifesaver. (laughs) I know that, right? But I knew that because I was exposed to things that tell me things to do when you're drowning. Or if we're saying to kids, it's only one way, we're hurting them. We're We're hurting us. hurting us you don't keep the truth from children you don't say to them well they shouldn't learn this you know at the end of the day If you had a heart attack, you want the best heart surgeon because that's the expert. If you want your pipes burst, you want the best plumber. That's their expert, they're trained. Mm. Teachers are trained to deliver the information. Trust your teachers, trust in them. They know what to do. They're not gonna overwhelm your kids with nonsense they don't need to know. But you lack trust and that's the problem.
0: Well, hopefully folks can have access to books like yours where you you approach some of these really heavy issues and make it in a way where they can understand it, whether it's learning about cooking your family or being civically engaged. Winsome, thank you so much for making the time and talking with us today. I
1: appreciate you having me. Thank you so, so much.
0: Our guest today was Winsome Bingham. She's an author, veteran, and an educator. She'll be presenting her new book, The Walk, at the African Heritage Cultural Arts Center tomorrow afternoon. And that's Sundial for Monday, September 11th. Leslie O.I. Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. And Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Engineering our board today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program... Alex Menon is the first immigrant in his position at the Miami Herald and El Nuevo Herald. He's their new executive editor. I'm Carlos Frias, good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.